This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It is runoff time in Georgia. Early voting starts on Monday, November 28th for the December 6th election. If you are a Georgia voter, head over to votesaveamerica.com to make your plan. And if you want to help out no matter where you live, you can donate and find remote and in-person volunteer opportunities to make sure the War Not campaign has the resources that it needs. 51 senators means the difference between a true majority or being faced with another two years of roadblocks like problem children, Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin. Um, yep. Yeah. No cinema. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I could live without that. Um, make sure that every Georgia voter can make their voice heard again at votesaveamerica.com. Also, Warnock is a great candidate and a great person, and I want him in the Senate. Hot Take is brought to you by Lomi. Uh, Amy and I have both talked about our little struggle compost situations. Um, <laughs> never really been able to nail it. Sorry about that. Come y'all. out as bad composters. We're, we're bad composters. <laughs> Somebody wrote an article about that, by the way. I know. I know. Yeah. Sammy. Sammy yes. Grover wrote an article about us being bad composters. So there's that. Because <laughs> um, apparently that shocked people. I don't know why people thought I would be a good worm charmer, but yeah, I'm not. True. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps into dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Um, I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of waste. I have basically nice. limitless supply of dirts for my houseplants, which have become an addiction, Amy. Like, I have so many houseplants. I love houseplants. That's yeah. Great. I think, yeah, like, they're... who doesn't like more greenery inside their home? I mean, it's driving the cat crazy because he's like, oh, I can pounce from here. <laughs> but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Um, <laughs> since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, I turn my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my aforementioned plants. Um, yes. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just clean up after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com hot and use the promo code hot to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com hot and use promo code hot at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. Which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly seven million premature deaths around the world. 
I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires, and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DRILLED. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, EarthBreeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, 40, 40%, 40%. Go to drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Mariana Hegler. This week, we're going to be talking to Aja Barber about a topic that uh, couldn't possibly be more relevant at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about shopping, Amy. Yep. Right? That's right. <laughs> shopping, consumerism, and all of the ways that that intersects with climate change. Eek. And of course, colonialism as well. Yep. So... Yep. <laughs> Aja is a writer and stylist and a consultant. She works at the intersections of sustainability and fashion. Um, She is Sheehan's worst enemy on Twitter. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yes. Yes. (laughs) She also recently wrote her first book. It's called Consumed. It's great. It looks at the fashion industry through the lens of collectivism, colonialism, climate change, and consumerism. And it's Great. Go get it. Go get it for your friend that you can't think of anything to get for. 
Right. Or the friends who, like, always have ridiculous requests for the holidays. With the holidays right around the corner, or actually kind of back around the corner, the way you look at it since Thanksgiving <laughs> has passed, um, yeah. we thought she would be the perfect person to to bring on. If I doubt we have anybody listening to this podcast who is buying a ton of fast fashion, like Shein hauls and making those sort of TikToks or whatever. But if you mm. have a friend who does, this episode will give you some stuff to, you know, hopefully open their eyes to the harms of fast fashion. Um, yeah. So with that, I think it's time. It's time to talk about climate. All right. Aja Barber, welcome to Hot Take. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so, so much for having me on. I'm a tremendous fan of the show. So this is quite a, a big deal for me. <laughs> well, we're big fans of you. So this is a big deal for us. Um, and I'm just going to kick us off with the first question. How, how are you feeling about Twitter these days? Girl, girl, <laughs> I am waiting for the delegation of Black Twitter to be like, where are we going? That's what I'm waiting for. And like, I'm like, can someone give me a sign, a memo, something. But in general, I think it's like, I don't want to say it's funny because I know that like, it's very emotional for some people. But deep down inside, yeah. there would be a part of me that would laugh so hard if this man paid $44 billion for this app and then proceeded to just sink it into the ground and then had to sell it at a loss. I'm sorry, that would not be a loss to me to see that happen. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little worried that this is exactly his goal to mm. tank public discourse. So that, I don't know, that I, I don't know I, if he would see it as a loss. I would definitely, yeah, I think... Deep down inside, I want to believe that it's all ego and he has no idea what he's really doing. But I think you, there's some truth to what you just said as well. But really, I'm just sort of, I have other spaces that I'm in. To be honest, my Twitter only took off this year. I've been on Twitter since its inception. And for like the first like oh wow eight, nine years, I only had 2,000 followers. And then my Twitter finally took off. And so I'm just laughing at my own bad luck because like... <laughs> wow, this finally took off and now he's going to ruin it. Of course, of course. It was that was that's what he was waiting for. That's how it goes for me. Like that's just like yeah. it always <laughs> rains on me. So I'm okay with it. I'm used to it. <laughs> oh god. It's gross. I've built my other spaces though and that's what I really hope the other I've always diversified because I know that you can't count on these apps. We can't count on corporations, right. apps, anything. So I've never put all my eggs in one basket, be it Twitter or Instagram or even Patreon where I am supported. I try and diversify as much as possible just in case something like this happens. Yeah. Yeah. You have a huge following on Instagram. Yeah. And Instagram's kind of weird too. And I also have like a smaller yeah. following on Pinterest, but I could definitely like amp that up. But like for me, it's mm. just, unfortunately we can't depend on these apps and so we have to like always yeah. sort of have a little backup plan so i feel um a little bit like okay i prepared in some way even though i didn't know that that's what i was preparing for <laughs> right. yeah i right. mean i think probably part of the reason your twitter took off um it's because we've been having a pretty heated conversation on social media about 
fast fashion. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, Shein. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I will assure you is not a sponsor of this show. Thank God for um, that. But before, <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into Shein, I wanted to just get you to explain the link between climate change and fast fashion. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people get that there's a lot of waste and they probably think it's more connected to plastics in the ocean, yeah. which you know, it's also related to climate, but still. Uh, so, yeah, can you just yeah. give us your your elevator speech on that? By the way, there's a lot of, like, microplastics, too, because 60% of the fabrics on Earth currently are polyfibers. And whenever we wash polyfibers, mm-hmm. which do come from plastic, which does come from oil, what happens is these garments shed and it gets into our water supplies, our soil, our food sources, and our ocean. And so this is a... This problem will come around to bite us in the ass so hard. And unfortunately, people don't see that. They just see a cute dress and they don't see the exploitation Mm -hmm. of other people. They just see a cute dress. But eventually this problem is going to mess with all of us. And that's what I want people to understand is that our liberation is intrinsically tied to the liberation of people in the global south. But how this problem is connected to the climate crisis is depending on who you ask, because it's been heavily debated, some say that the fashion industry accounts for 10% of all global carbon emissions. Um, And you can- Wait, how many? 10%. And you can play around with the numbers because different reports are definitely gonna say different things. But what you need to know is the fashion industry and how we choose to consume garments is aiding in this problem. And like fast fashion Mm. is not even a problem that like we need, right? It's not the same as food. It is something where this is created by materialism, consumerism, and pernicious marketing. And so a lot of these problems with the climate crisis are more challenging, but whether or not we choose to buy 68 garments a year from someone who's exploiting someone else, that one shouldn't be the challenge. And yet here we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you want another link to how it's going to aid in climate crisis, and this is something that I always tell people, there's a lot of water like that goes into creating garments. And so for instance, cotton as a crop is known to be a pretty thirsty crop. That is again, One of those Mm. things where people will debate the numbers, but some people say it's something like 3,000 liters to like make a t-shirt and jeans, right? That's a lot of water to grow Mm -hmm. clothing, essentially, to grow fibers that will be turned into clothing. So if you have fast fashion corporations like H&M who are admitting that they're incinerating billions of dollars worth of garments that they didn't need to produce. And we know that like Mm -hmm. some of those garments are cotton and we know that we live on a planet that already has water insecurity and that's only going to be heightened during climate crisis. What damage is the fashion industry actually doing to issues like that? Yeah. Well, and I think it's worth pointing out that the synthetic fiber thing is not an accident like that that's part of this whole you know like as they did with plastic more generally oil and gas companies um saw saw the potential for synthetic fibers to become a revenue stream that replaced their revenue when you know people started using less oil and gas in transportation and residential um and and that's like a big part of why we're seeing this explosion so like you know 
And they've made it so yeah. cheap that they undercut all the natural fibers. And that's on purpose that's as right. well to take market share. That's right. So they can't, yep. you know, a cotton farmer can't compete with the price of a cheap polyester. You know, a silk mm-hmm. manufacturer can't compete. Wool, wool is another one. So like any natural fiber is going to have a hard time competing with the perniciousness of like the polyfiber industry because they have by far taken the fashion industry by storm and undercut everyone. And that has been by design. Mm -hmm. And it's been like relatively fast too. Very fast. Yeah. The fast has two meanings. It's true. One (laughs) of the things I talk about, like I'm a little bit older than a lot of people on Instagram and social media in general. I always say like, I'm a social media grandma. And there's a real (laughs) privilege in being that person because I remember when we didn't have these systems. I remember when you would buy your clothing from the department store and they would get shipments in four and five times a year. I've I've mm-hmm. seen the system become what it is today at the speed where someone who is Gen Z, where they were born in like the year 2000, all they know is this system. So this idea that anything else right. actually exists is, is quite foreign to um, younger people. So we really, I think, need to do the service of like communicating that there is a different way, that you don't have to feel... Um, preyed upon by these corporations that you don't have to participate in a microtrend cycle, especially if it doesn't make you feel good. And I think that's a, a lot of the work that needs to be done. And people who are of the older generation need to quickly recognize what we're taking part in and make sure that we yeah. are good ancestors for those of the future. Mm-hmm. That's so wild. I honestly, like, I'm a little older than Gen Z, <laughs> Gen X, too. but, um, <laughs> but so I like, I really, and, and like, of course I've noticed that, oh, there's more and more clothing being, you know, marketed and sold on, on Instagram. But like, I honestly, um, had not thought much about how different it is from when, you know, I was buying clothes as like a teenager or even in my twenties, that just was not not a thing not a thing um, didn't even exist yeah actually yeah. thrift store shopping was a big thing when in the i mean i was like a 90s california kid you know so like it was sec- like secondhand clothing was a trend actually <laughs> you know it depends so, on where yeah. you live mm. because i was in northern virginia yeah. and my parent like my mother always bought stuff for me from the thrift store but it was not mm-hmm. cool um and yeah. <laughs> in my high school. And so I kept that to yeah. myself because I didn't want to get ragged upon. I was ragged upon for enough, you know? Yeah. Why give yeah. them one okay, more reason? That's the first time I have ever heard somebody say ragged upon. You have been in <laughs> London, girl. <laughs> ragged on. <laughs> so. I know. I know. I just realized when it came out, it sounded really funny. <laughs> Yes, I didn't want to get, I just didn't want to get dragged. Like I was already like, you know, a nerdy nature weirdo who like, liked fashion and stuff. I wasn't looking for one more reason to get teased by my peers. I remember like telling Mm. one of my peers that like, oh yeah, I got these trousers from a charity shop. And he was like, oh, so you're wearing like a dead person's clothing, which really like (gasps) made me think, oh, that's really horrible and then of course later on in my career I learned about 
you know, the secondhand clothing trade and how it is impacting people in the global South. And of course, in Ghana, mm. dead white man's clothes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's also, that's like saying you're breathing a dead person's air because a dead person stood where you were standing one day. Like totally, that's ridiculous. But it made me feel horrible. I was like, great. I know. Way to open your mouth and, and find yourself in a position where someone can make fun of you for something else. Right, right. Uh, so there's a lot of fast fashion out there, like you've already mentioned H&M, um, but Shein really takes the cake. So can you explain what makes Shein so much worse than their competitors? Um, Just the size and the speed at which they can move. Like, if they were not, like, a completely evil company in many ways, um, I would actually think they're really fascinating because the way in which they work is so so much faster than like H&M or Zara. And because they don't have brick and mortar, mm. that is uh, an expense that they don't have. Mm. They can turn over a copy of a design faster than anyone else through algorithms and figuring out what's going to sell well and what isn't. They're actually really evil and brilliant. And um, that's they're, they're producing at a rate where they are just trouncing on their competition, which I love to see like a bad guy get theirs, but it sucks when it's by like an even more bad guy, you know? Right. <laughs> and they're hurting a lot of other people. Oh yeah. The no, process, they're hurting right? they're like they... hurting so many people. But it's funny because I know that like, you know, the HMs and the Zaras are like, hey, they took what we did and they're doing it even worse not fair you know mm-hmm. it's like yeah. oh god they're not the victims in this story totally totally <laughs> and like i do think like obviously Shein is problematic for like a litany of reasons but deep down inside this conversation tends to be very white and i do wonder how much of the critique comes from like latent xenophobia you know what I mean? Because they are mm. Chinese owned and they're not trying to play by any of the rules of the West. And um, I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, we hate them. But deep down inside, I'm like, do you hate them? Because someone you formerly exploited is doing what you do better than you do. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll also just add, uh, Shein adds about 6,000 new items of clothing every day. Yeah. The average cost of about $10. Yeah. Um, they're really into cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and just stealing designer stuff, right? But so all of them are. come out with something. All of them yeah, are into cultural appropriation that. and all of them are into mm. stealing stuff. And like what people need to understand in this conversation, because a lot of people like to sort of make the fast fashion conversation sound like it's you know David and Goliath like oh yeah they're making it so much more accessible for us they're making the world worse Mm -hmm. for everyone you just don't see it because you're distracted by shiny pretty things what they do is I would argue when it comes to the slow fashion movement the ethical fashion movement these movements are being led by small brands but what these big corporations do Shein, H&M, Zara and others is that they make it so the small brands cannot even compete. So say you have a dress um, that becomes a real cult classic on Instagram, and that does happen, and maybe it's from a small brand. So you're making this dress, you're paying everyone fairly, your dress costs 200 pounds because that is like the margin for you to pay everyone and pay yourself and keep your lights on, which a lot of people do not understand 
what clothing should and can cost. They just don't get it. But everyone thinks that they get it, which is kind of annoying. But we do that in our society with like everyone, like scientists. Um, And so basically you have this dress. It becomes an Instagram cult classic. Everybody's buying it. And then all of a sudden Shein makes a copy of your dress and they're selling it for $12. And then nobody wants to buy your dress because everyone's buying the copy. If that keeps happening with small brands, they're never going to be able to survive. The margins are so tight to run a fashion company because so many of my friends have run them. And I know what it looks like on the inside. And it's here today, gone tomorrow. And if we have this market where anyone can really easily knock off anything else and there's no regulation, what that means is there's no small business. And when there's no small business, there's a lack of jobs, right? Like, Everyone Mm. that is a fashion student should care about this because the better jobs in the fashion industry are with the small brands. They're the brands that are paying better wages to everyone. And they're the brands where you're actually going to get some really fun experience. Like, I think sometimes when we're young, we grow up and we think, oh, yeah, I'd love to work for that big company. But sometimes when you're in that big company, you're just a number and not a name. And so you're going to get some really good hands-on experience within small business that, you know, maybe you can take to a larger company, but not everyone can be at the top. So like the the jobs that I think tend to be the best are the ones where you're treated like a decent human and you get good experience. And within big corporations, what I find is nobody is treated like a human, not the person at the bottom of the food chain and not even really the person in the middle. You know, you see these jobs for like, I want to work for this company and it's in a major city like New York or London and the job pays $25,000 a year. Who can survive in New York City or London on that amount of money? Uh, The wealthy. So that means that only people that are, you know, born into wealth can actually participate in the fashion industry. So that really limits who can actually be within the industry. And I just think we lose so much when entire industries just become massive corporations. And unfortunately, that's what fast fashion is doing to the fashion industry as a whole and polluting the planet. Well, there's that. Yeah. It's just bad on all fronts. All fronts. Um, and and yeah, I, I have seen this cycle. Uh, I've seen you like batting this away <laughs> right and left on Twitter of people being like, but I can't afford a, you know, sustainably produced item. And, and like, I, I feel like, again, this comes back to the, the consumption pattern thing. Yes. Uh, Which sort of, nobody wants you know, to touch that. Yeah. Because we want to touch it. Here's the thing. I <laughs> yeah. used to say that. This is the thing. As someone who has a platform, I talk all the time about, like, the various ways in which I used to lie to myself. And I think society mm-hmm. allows us to do that. And it hang with me here because I'm going to go off the deep end. I feel like mm-hmm. do we do this thing, right? <laughs> We're like, everybody's so poor in our society. And I think we do that mm-hmm. because there is a lot of inequality. But like the person whose parents bought their first house in a major city is saying the same thing as the person who doesn't have parents mm-hmm. who can do that. Like, oh, I'm just so broke. Yeah. Oh, And I really think mm-hmm. because we don't talk honestly about wealth within our society, that dishonesty trickles into every conversation and allows 
for us to have massive industries that just exploit large amounts of people in the global south and nobody wants to hold their hand up and say oh yeah yeah i did that i was kind of responsible like yes i did buy 68 items of clothing i didn't need to fill my insecurities nobody wants to do that but i think a lot of us need to realize right you're like i can't afford ethical fashion great don't buy anything this year like if you have a wardrobe full of clothing that fits a great way to participate in the slow fashion movement is to just wear the clothing you have. And people do treat trends like it is a human right. And it's bizarre to act that way when like the majority of the world is not participating in this cycle. But I also just came off of a visit to Paris where I met up with the Or Foundation, which is um, a nonprofit in Ghana that deals with the fashion waste stream that ends up in Cantamount to market. They were there in Paris talking to EU regulators, big brands, and it was a wonderful trip. There were 15 people from um, the Or Foundation, so 13 Ghanaians, two Americans. And can I just say, everybody was so stylish. Everybody. And these are mm-hmm. people who are largely wearing the items that we call not good enough anymore because we stuffed it in a charity bag and somehow it's ended up on their doorstep. So this mm. notion that we need fast fashion to be stylish and to be able to participate is just patently false. And I think we need to really start coming correct and being more honest in this conversation. But I think that also looks like more honest conversations about wealth in general and who can make changes and who can't. Because There might be someone who has to pick between, you know, paying their light bill or getting a pair of work trousers from Shein, right? And like for that person, I know you're you're just trying to survive, but that is not the majority of Shein's customers. And it's time to be honest about that. I mean, as someone who gave up on ever being stylish in the fourth grade, (laughs) um, (laughs) I don't know. This almost makes me feel like there's... (laughs) Like, there's hope for me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, me my I, chronic this, yoga pants. <laughs> this is where I have to admit that I, in the fourth grade, um, I don't know what got into me. I think I saw the movie Working Girl, maybe. And I asked my mom to, like, scour thrift shops for, like, tiny suits. <laughs> tiny little lady suits. <laughs> like, That's so cute. Wait, like, you wanted pantsuits? Like Hillary Clinton? I, I wore pantsuits, yes, adorable. for like an entire year. Little secondhand I want pictures. pantsuits. Okay, but that is way more stylish than like the bajillion copycat <laughs> girls who were all in like the same sweatshirt from the limited, right? Like yes. you I mean, yes. had your own personal style where they all looked like clones. I did. I did. And in fact, one girl in an attempt to be mean to me said something like, why do you always dress so sophisticated? And I was like, um, <laughs> if you think that's a burn, I've got news for you. Well, I just, oh I also <laughs> want to say all of the coolest people in the fashion industry all have like similar stories about like getting made fun of for their clothing or not growing up with the right things. Like anyone who is not like Richie Rich in the fashion industry, and there's a few of us, all have like mm-hmm. really similar stories about like being the kid who like dressed a little different and then like people would mm-hmm. make fun of you. But like 
you knew what your personal style was. It wasn't your fault they didn't get it. Right. Exactly. And Yeah, exactly. I was like, whatever. They don't know. Eventually they'll see. <laughs> uh, anyway. There's yes. still so much more to talk about with climate and fashion and also colonialism. Yes. Um, and we're going to get to that after the break. Speaking of consumption, we need to run an ad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Hot Take is brought to you by Cozy Earth. Um, I have a weird sheet addiction. Mary. Yeah, weird. <laughs> it's weird. I love I love sheets and I particularly love super soft sheets and I particularly love cozy earth sheets because I don't have to feel guilty about how much I love them. She loves so soft good. sheets and she cannot lie. <laughs> it's true. It's true. They're made using the finest premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo. The the bedding is naturally temperature regulating, which is great for me because I'm a sweaty sleeper. Um, Sorry. Gross. Bad image in everyone's head now, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how I feel about sweat. I feel like it's natural and, you know. It's true. It is natural. It is. It is. So, yeah. I mean, this is their sheets are amazing. They have a loungewear collection that's also made out of the same super, super soft bamboo viscose. I love it. All of this stuff is great for a holiday gift. If you Mm -hmm. are looking for something for someone, I mean, honestly, any human being who doesn't like soft fabric, uh, Cozy Earth (laughs) is the brand that made Oprah's favorite things five years in a row. Holy moly. That's amazing. That's Um, pretty good. Yeah, their luxurious loungewear collection includes soft and stylish bamboo pajamas, joggers, tees, and more. Plus, every Cozy Earth bedding item comes in a beautiful, reusable canvas bag. I totally use these bags. They're great. It's like getting two things for the price of one. No gift Uh wrapping required, and you get a little extra gift with your sheets. You, Hot Take listeners, can save 40%, 40, 40% now on Cozy Earth. Hurry, this holiday offer is going to end soon. you got to get it now. Go to CozyEarth.com slash hot and be sure to enter hot at checkout to save 40%. That's CozyEarth.com slash hot. CozyEarth.com slash hot. Hot Take is brought to you by Aspiration. Mary, we have talked about this before, but I feel like I can't say it enough times. Most people are keeping their money in banks that are using that money to fund fossil fuel projects. Not I cool. Know. I know. No. And the most, people like don't the, know most people Yeah, don't know. things like the Dakota Access Access Pipeline, all of those sorts of projects. Yep. Yeah. That yeah, is. exactly. If you have your bank in most standard bank accounts, then you are unwittingly maybe funding fossil fuel projects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, one thing you can do is just moving your money to Aspiration to give your deposits a cleaner, greener home. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative for your money. You can get an account and debit card that's built to help your wallet and the planet. 
Aspiration lets you plant a tree by rounding up every swipe of your debit card, but equally, if not more important, they're not spending your money on pipelines, guys. Um, <laughs> it's kind of important. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of important. Also, there is no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with Aspiration, you just pay what you think is fair, even if that's zero, because money should not stand in the way of you doing the right thing. Make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash tree. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash tree today. That's aspiration.com slash tree. Terms and conditions apply. Aspiration is not a bank. Deposits are FDIC insured up to $2 million per depositor. Okay, so Aja, um, we want to talk about your book, Thank which you. is fantastic. It's called Consumed, and it looks at the connection between supply chains created by multinational fashion corporations and the colonial empires that preceded them. Mm, we love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it looks at lots more, but that was one uh, one key takeaway. So, like, we know that there is. Um, there are all of these huge direct connections between how people look at climate as being a problem that's too big to solve and how people look at the fashion industry as one that's too big to fix. Um, this is something that we hear about all of the aspects of climate all the time, right? The same, we hear the same thing about energy, right? The systems it's too big and it's too broken. Um, so when people are, you know, looking at the fashion industry, you talk about in Consumed that the system is actually, it's working as designed, right? So let's have you talk a little bit more about that. How how was this set up? Like, how did we know that we were probably going to end up here 100 years ago? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at chattel slavery and uh, colonialism in the East, those were all like the building blocks of what the system is today. And I was sharing mm. with like, my patrons that like, yes, I am in this, this arena because it's right and it feels right. And it, I know that's what I should be doing. But for me, there's a personal issue as a black person mm. from the United States who is the descendant of enslaved people. My people were brought to this United States to harvest land to build the system. And that cotton mm kickstarted the industrial revolution without the industrial revolution you wouldn't have today's systems so you know mm -hmm. that industrial revolution led to things like uh fair labor in america but that happened because of things like the triangle shirtwaist factory fire and right. so i think that at the base of this you know chattel slavery which was a huge part of it but additionally British exploration in India was all about disrupting the cotton trade there because at the time India was the superpower of cotton. They were they were killing it in the textiles and the British went there to set out to disrupt that and they did. And mm. now instead mm. of you know India really being in control of that system, the people that control that system are the head of the top 20 brands in the world and most of the time, it's a white person. But additionally, mm -hmm. because of the way we consume clothing fast, super rapidly, the, you know, 
um, successive microtrends pushed through social media and pernicious marketing, we are going through so much clothing so quickly. And, you know, people are taught that like, oh, don't throw out your clothing, donate it. But we're donating billions of garments every year. And what's happening is these garments are ending up right back in the global South in Ghana Mm. and they are polluting the environment there. And so from start to finish, this system basically craps all over non-white people because the Mm -hmm. resources that go into the clothing, the labor which goes in the clothing is non-white people in the global South and then the the consumer, it's a linear system. The person that consumes this garment is usually a privileged person in the global north. Often they are white. And then the person who ends up with it polluting their backyard in old Fatima in Ghana is going to be a black person. And so mm-hmm. ultimately, and it doesn't have to be a black person. It can be, you know, the Atacama Desert. You know, it can be anywhere, but it's going to be in the global south. You don't see mountains of used gross clothing, you know, outside of a politician's uh, house in London. But I would argue that's exactly where it should be. But instead, we're exporting Mm -hmm. this problem and we're sending it to the global south and calling it charitable when this is not an act of charity. This is an act of like environmental violence. It pollutes the beaches. It pollutes the water. Um, The amount of clothing that comes into Cantamonto Every single week, I think it's 15 million garments. Now, bear in mind that the population of Accra is 3 million people. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has filled up the municipal dump 10 years ahead of schedule. So the citizens of Ghana, and it isn't just Ghana, it's Uganda, it's Rwanda, it's Kenya. I would argue pretty much every, you know, so many countries in the entire continent of Africa are dealing with this problem. And it's an ecological disaster. This is like what we did with electronics recycling in it's, Asia. Yeah, in totally. The 90s, it, right? Exactly. In early 2000s. It's crazy. We just find this, the global north finds its its sort of global dumping grounds for this stuff. And then like the the grossest part is, yeah, how it gets marketed to consumers as like, you're doing a good thing. Charity. Yeah, right. exactly. Dumping your stuff on these At people. this point, I or would... just buying less. Yeah, at this point, yeah. I would actually rather, like, if it isn't something that is good and usable, I would rather that people actually throw it away in the global north. Because mm-hmm. if that keeps happening, then it will force us to have to deal with our textile issue ourselves and come up with some Mm. sort of actual recycling scheme because currently only 1% of textiles are recycled. 1%. So people are buying clothing weekly, essentially. And unfortunately, what we also know is that the quality has just like gone right downhill. And so when you have clothing and you have a system that's just been degraded and you know, downgraded and downgraded. What you have is like one-time use clothing, but people are still putting it into a charity bag going, oh, someone in Africa might want that. Well, surprise, they don't. You know, it's trash. And if you Keep know <laughs> if you know that it's trash in your heart of hearts when you're putting it in that bag, don't donate it because nobody is going to want it. Nobody. And we need to yeah, really mm-hmm. start seeing this problem for what it is. It needs to be in our backyard. Like I only donate things 
that are current season that are from designers where if I pick something up at a charity shop, I would shout score. It has to be on trend. I will not donate anything that is, you know, torn, ripped, that sort of thing. But that is what people are doing. And it's, it's, it's a colonialist idea that somebody in another part of the world might want something that you know you don't think is good enough for you to wear anymore. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're saying that we have enough clothes on the face of the earth already. Oh, my God. (laughs) The fashion fashion industry spits out 100 billion garments uh, a year, and... The human population is only 8 billion. And let's be mm. honest, 50% of our planet lives on what? $5 and 50 cents a day. So like uh-huh. half that amount, because only maybe 3 million of us are actually somewhat participating in this system. So the fashion industry mm. is producing a lot of clothing for a small portion of humanity. And at this point, you know, what are we? 8 billion in the population? For 100 billion garments every single year. Yeah, we have enough clothing. I mean, I don't want to see the fashion industry go away because I want those small ethical brands to thrive and survive. And I want there to be a world where they can. But I don't want the fashion industry to look anything the way it currently does today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you're saying is degrowth. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the pink elephant in the room that no one wants to address in the fashion industry. Trust me. Yeah. In the the oil and gas conversation, the, the oil companies always say some variation of like, well, we're just supplying a demand. Like if you guys used less, we would produce less, which is just patently a false mm-hmm. as we can see in this whole conversation of synthetic fibers and plastic and girl all that same stuff. they just same find in this conversation they, yeah so yeah like if people were saying okay we need to change consumption patterns but how do we do it in a way where the system is actually forced to to also change and not just like f- try to find other ways to push it um i do think that the corporations have to lose our attention and lose our money. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. consumer power is huge in this conversation. People love to say, oh, it has nothing to do with me. It needs to be regulated. Well, yeah, but who is going to regulate something if you don't care, right? If you are okay with this system, if you're still participating, if you're still going, oh, I feel really bad, I guess I'm going to go and like 
buy myself a dress or a new cardigan from like this store that I know doesn't treat people well. Do you actually mm-hmm. think that like your lawmaker will be moved to like regulate the system? So like, unfortunately, this is like, we need a cultural shift and that cultural shift starts with individual change and like the consumer voice has so much power here and people need to recognize that but in order to actually get into this conversation i think it's important for us as individuals to look at all of our own consumer patterns because the market is dictated by that it is it's dictated Mm. by what we are choosing to do there is a reason why every fast fashion brand is now starting to roll out their resale sites. Like they're all trying to Mm. take a piece of the resale market that has been built by, you know, companies like Vestiaire, The Real Real, eBay, Depop. They want that cut. They don't want you going to those places to sell your clothing. Why profit once when you can profit twice? And the reason why they're doing this is because they are responding to consumer demand. And so yeah. if consumer demand were, I don't know, we demand you start treating our fellow humans with decency and stop union busting. And I'm supporting this company because I actually like that they pay people well. Um, they would pay attention to that as well. But I just think we as citizens haven't quite gotten mad enough and haven't realized that we can be a part of this conversation and we absolutely should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're getting at this like weird uh, pendulum swing that happens in climate discourse overall, where it was like for a really long time, people felt so guilty about climate change, like, you know, about what they ordered for lunch or what they, the last flight that they took and all of that. And they were like, it's all my fault. And like, they just felt so guilty that they just completely shut down and did nothing. Yeah. And then there was this movement to be like, actually it's all these companies fault. And you know, there's a whole lot of truth to that. And so people were like, it doesn't matter what I buy or what I use or how many flights <laughs> I take. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, too far, too fast. <laughs> so it's like, I can take all the flights I want because it's BP. He's fault. Like, whoa. Yeah. 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 Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so yeah, Yeah. for me, if you're not gonna do anything about it, then just stop buying stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like participating Mm -hmm. in trends, no matter which way you slice and dice and unpack it, is not mandatory for humanity. It's not even you know, I understand that like that peer pressure is real and like those feelings are real, but maybe it's time to unpack something deeper that, you know, causes you to lean into consumerism when you feel insecure. That's what I would say, because you can't eat these clothes. It's not going to be life or death. Yes, obviously, we all need clothing that protects us from the elements and keeps us warm and dry and so on. There, there is some survival there, but the, the, the hole that you just took at the mall that is not about survival and it's time to uh, get real about that. But also I think a lot of people think that participating in consumerism, the way we've sort of been told to do it, because one of the things I reference is like every cult film that I grew up with has like a makeover scene that involves tons of shopping bags. And I think, I think (laughs) that's, I think that seeps into our brains like really early as much as we don't want to admit it. And I think that really impacts how we like, 
view, you know, ourselves like, oh, you really want that person to like you? Well, then you need a makeover with new clothing. Oh, you're starting a new job. Okay, well, you need a makeover. I think really getting to the heart of like, is this system even making me happy is something that Mm -hmm. people don't do enough of. Because when I think back upon like, when I was buying fast fashion, largely, I was feeling really unhappy. And like, I had a job that I would hate. So I would like go and visit the stores before I would go into this extremely stressful job where I would get yelled at and blamed for stuff. Um, Or I didn't feel comfortable with the people that I was quote unquote friends with. They made me feel insecure because they were all really rich. So I would like buy things that I didn't need. So I could feel rich too, even though I do not come from wealth. So I think really unpacking what's behind why we buy could be like the key to all of this. And then once you sort of get to that, those like targeted ads, you can just bat them away. You're like, keep on moving. Mm. And that's what I really want for people ultimately to ask yourself like, but do you even like this? Because I think buying the amount of clothing that we're buying is actually exhausting. And if I can Mm. get people to really think deeper about this topic, the humanity element, the lack of connection we have to the things that we buy, I think a lot of people would find that they don't like it. I get a lot of people that will (laughs) message me and be like, yeah, you know, when I first found your Instagram page, I was like, I don't like her. I don't like her message. This isn't for me. I'm going to keep shopping. And then, you know, I started to like read every day what you were right. And I, I started to go, no, I think this is for me. So I, I took a two week break. I said, you know what? I'm going to unsubscribe all these apps and it's going to be really hard, but I'm going to do it. And then they're like, so now we're on six months and I managed to save enough money to buy a really great coat from a designer that I always told myself I couldn't afford. But the truth of the matter was, I was pissing away all my money on things that I didn't really need or want. And I just want to say thank you. And I get those messages every single week, which really speaks to like a real deeper issue there. And that's ultimately what I want. I want people to ask themselves questions and interrogate consumerism. And always remember that for every low cost that we see, there's a human cost and we might not be paying for it but somebody else somewhere in the world is. And that's at the heart of the matter. Yeah. Yeah. I I just want to add, you said that we can't eat the clothes. Uh, You definitely can't when they're covered in lead, which is a thing that Oh, God. You don't want that near your baby. You don't want that near your child. You don't want that near your skin. And that's another thing, right? An industry where there's very little regulation and everybody's just marking their own homework is an industry where bad things can happen. And unfortunately, like Shein's clothing was tested by like a group in Canada. They found lead. They found five times over the legal limit of what's allowed, which is funny because you would think there would be no lead in any clothing, but apparently there's a limit. And uh, I just just thought like- (laughs) A little concerned about that. (laughs) I, I don't want this. I don't want this. Like, and one of the things- when you stop like participating in a lot of fast fashion, you stop buying from a lot of stores and you start like caring a little bit more and being like, okay, I'm going to buy one pair of trousers from this ethical brand. The thing I notice most, cause I'll still go into fast fashion stores to like 
look around and see who they're like copying. Um, I always notice how strong a lot of these stores smell of chemicals now. And I didn't notice it before, which is terrifying. Wow. Or like one time I ordered something from um, a ethical line in a department store and I noticed oh my god I really don't miss the amount of plastic associated with like non-slow fashion like I had forgotten that like every time you order from like a big corporation they are going to send you five times the amount of plastic than anything needs where when you're buying from ethical brands that are more thoughtful about this stuff Oftentimes your garment is going to arrive wrapped up in brown paper with like a twig of lavender. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> the overpackaging really drives me. Insane. Oh, the over. Like, but it really it's does. everywhere and all the corporations do it. And like, even like when you go into like a store like Urban Outfitters or Anthropology, every single one of those items comes in its own individual plastic. Every yeah. single one, I took a video recently outside of the Urban Outfitters in Shortage because somehow all of their like trash was just like right outside the store and it was just boxes mm. and boxes of individual plastic wrap wrapping. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. And that's like every Urban Outfitters in the world and other right. stores as well. Right. Every mall store, you know, and it's really interesting because my niece um, is... I, I always say you should talk to kids about this stuff because they get it. They really get it. Like, and if you just mm -hmm. break it down for them, they really start to understand. So I have a small clothing line with um, my friend, Laura, her brand is Laura Jean. And it's very beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> and my older sister, it's an ethical clothing line. Don't worry. Nobody's getting rich here, but we are paying people well. We're making clothing that will stay in your wardrobe for a long time. And my older sister bought one of the sweaters and my niece saw the invoice when it came and she called me actually and was like, Aji, mommy got one of your sweaters and um, it was $100. And I was like, actually, kiddo, it was 100 pounds. And she was like shocked by that amount. And so I could see in her childlike brain that she was thinking that like, Aji is making a hundred dollars for every sweater that is sold. So I had to break it down <laughs> for her. I was like, no, this is not how this works. How it works is Aji and Laura design a garment together. Uh, we go and we pick out the materials. Now we work with an ethical yarn maker who has some real sustainability practices in place, which means that their yarn is going to cost more than the yarn that is probably being used in this, this, and this store because this is a good company. So the yarn costs this amount of money. So that's, you know, one fourth of the price. And then we pay our garment makers the most amount of money because they're doing the hardest labor. So their amount of money is X amount of money. So then that's like a bigger chunk of the price. And then don't forget about like shipping because it's made in Bulgaria and this expense, taxes, yada, yada, yada. So then when you're done, there's this tiny little sliver left and Aji and Laura split that. And that's why Aji's not rich. And she was like, oh, <laughs> like really understanding that like it isn't just you know, this or that that goes into it, that there's a lot of moving parts here. And if you pay it, it people well, then the price tag should actually show that and reveal that. So the next question right. she had was, 
okay, so like, this is how it should be done. Why is everything so cheap at the mall? And I was like, mm. here's where I ruin your childhood, basically. And I had to tell her a lot of the stuff that you're seeing at the mall, that price tag reveals that somebody in that supply chain is not being paid fairly. Somebody is being mm-hmm. exploited. Chances are maybe they're using plastic fibers, which are very cheap because plastic fibers, polyester, has been pushed into the market and it undercuts all the natural fibers. So um, that's very cheap. So that's how you get the price down. But I guarantee you the person that made that garment, they weren't paid very fairly. So maybe they make 10 cents an hour, you know? So at this point, you're looking at what? $2 for this shirt. And then there's a huge markup because that's what the corporation does. And that's how you get a t-shirt that costs $10 in the mall. And uh, she Mm. was just shocked by it. And now when, you know, she receives clothing from someone and it is, you know, a brand that she's not familiar with, she will call me and say, do you think that this brand pays people? And I'll be like, what's the brand? She'll be like, it's this. And I'm like, unfortunately, no, they don't. She's like, okay, I don't want clothing from there anymore. You know, she and mm. she will actually like get excited when her mom buys her something secondhand on ThreadUp or a lot of her clothing comes from ThreadUp actually. And she understands what's happening behind the scenes. So she's she's cool with that. She is absolutely fine with wearing secondhand clothing where with me, I looked at it as a marker of shame because I was surrounded by snobs. So if we can mm-hmm. have this conversation mm-hmm. with all the kids in our lives that is going to create so much change. And I think also about like the holiday season and how stressful that is for parents, especially those that might not have, you know, money or money might be tight. Imagine if we could actually unpick consumerism among the next generation and how much of a difference that will make when it comes to the pressure that's put on parents. It's a win-win. Totally. That's the thing, too, is like like we were talking about um, degrowth earlier, too, which I feel like we should like briefly define here. Um, but also like it, it's, you know, it's sort of the opposite of the the endless growth model, right, of of capitalism, this idea that we have to always be um, making more money and cutting costs and growing the size of a company. And that is a, a recipe for endless overconsumption. And the thing of it is, and I feel like this gets talked about in climate a lot too, but the, um, but I still feel like people fight against the idea that actually doing that, making, making things work better for everyone makes life better for everyone too. Like it is actually preferable across the board. The only losers in this situation are multinational corporations, which are not people despite their large efforts to convince us otherwise. Um, This is like, it's true. It feels better. You know, I always tell people if we can raise wages for people you know, fighting the hardest battle, which in my opinion is garment workers and people at the end of the beginning of the supply chain, we can raise wages for ourselves, right? If we can empower and, and help and amplify the message of people who are having their unions busted by these corporations, then that means internally in corporate, they're also going to have to have some some better standards as well. And currently, like mm-hmm. the way people are treated within these corporations, even at a corporate level, isn't very good either. 
And so by no joining the fight on the ground there, we can really ensure better wages for everyone. And that's really important because we're losing that battle. The gig economy is just a microcosm of what's happening with the fashion industry, with like all of the outsourcing and no one owning their own factories. That's the same thing that mm-hmm. you see with like ride sharing apps, right? And house renting apps. It's yeah. one of those things where it's just making it so that it's harder to be fair in a competitive market, basically, and be treated mm-hmm. yeah. well. Yeah. There's a really, really great book by um, Roland Gayer called The Business of Less. And what it basically mm. talks about is how, like, you know, fair treatment and placing the environment first is actually really good for business and good for the environment. And so, like, you don't say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, you know, one of the things, one of the one of the points made is, well, if you pay garment workers X amount of money and everyone's making fair wages, that's going to actually take X amount of CO2 out of the atmosphere. And here's why, you know, so like the freedom of others is tied to like sustainability. All of this is tied together and you can't have sustainability without ethical and fair labor. You can't like brands will try and trick you and be like, this is made from organic cotton, but it was made by babies and that just doesn't work. So yeah, it's, it's all connected. And the sooner we understand that, the better we're going to be as a people and a planet. Yeah. I mean, I think that gets us into something else we wanted to talk about, which is uh, greenwashing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So can you talk to us about some of the, um, some of the biggest markers of greenwashing and how folks can spot it in the fashion industry. Like I, I feel like I probably fall into, you know, some of the traps of like, this is organic bamboo, but Mm -hmm. like, there's no way to make Mm -hmm. an entire set of yoga pants out of that. So yeah. What should we look for? I always say, just look for fair wages. I don't even look for the environmental Mm -hmm. stuff because the truth of the matter is, is that the corporations that are paying everyone within the supply chain, fairly don't have the same amount of money left over to overproduce clothing. So Mm. if you don't even want to like, look at like the environmental credentials, because a lot of that can be really confusing. Ask the company if everyone makes fair wages, be like, are all of the people making the clothing, making above living wage? Because any company that is actually like ethical and really worth their salt in the sustainability conversation will be able to tell you right off the bat, absolutely, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're ensuring. These are the factories we work with. This is what's paid hourly. I mean, with my line with Laura, it's obviously really small, but I can pretty much tell you like who has made certain sweaters and knitwear pieces. (laughs) Like that's, Mm. that's how tight it is when you actually care about this stuff. And when you're working with like small workshops and places where like people's general well-being is placed above like greed. And so I don't even bother with the environmental stuff as much anymore because I think the better brands are never going to be the ones that are overproducing the clothing to the point where we're dumping it all in the global south because you can't really afford to when you're actually running an ethical business. So just look for the ethics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. 
Um, so, like, what are the solutions in the greenwashing field? Like, is there any kind of accountability for false claims? There is. So that's a growing conversation right now, which is really exciting because I love to see it happen to these corporations. Um, but there's been a lot of pushback. I think right now H&M is, is catching it. There's a lawsuit currently in the States where they're being sued for misinformation. Um, the Consumer Market Authority in Norway also said, hey, this is this is bad information. There's a Consumer Market Authority in the UK who recently took some brands to task for greenwashing. And one such brand actually made their whole environmental section disappear overnight when they realized that they were going to be held accountable. So, yeah, there's some regulation happening. There's definitely some things. We're at the beginning of it, but... Basically, if a corporation really can't prove that, like, the fabric that they're using is better for the planet for X, Y, and Z reason, there's going to start to be some fines and there will be more lawsuits. And I think that's really exciting. It's it's a bit early in the game to say, like, what the final shakedown of this all is going to look like. But I'm just happy something is being done finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. We're going to talk about the stress that comes with gift giving and how to get rid of it coming up right after this break. A hot take is brought to you by Smile Actives. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Popular food and drinks are known to stain teeth. Beverages like coffee and wine stain them over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. I was going to say to smile more, you should drink more wine and coffee. But no, you're right. Smile Actives. Yeah. No, you can drink more <laughs> wine and coffee. Just use the Smile Actives, right? That's like, right. That's it right. Works. Perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, I really love coffee. I drink a pot of it every day. No, I did not mean to say a cup. I mean a pot. Yep. A whole yep. ass Kimmicks by myself Same. every day. Yep. I'm not going to stop. So mm -hmm. that's why I have Smile Actives. That's right. Exactly. 97% uh, of Smile Actives users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades whiter on average, all within 30 days. Have you ever wished you had whiter, brighter smile? All the time. All the time? Well, before you visit a dentist, you should know that your whitening treatments can be very expensive, and it's not just the price. You also have to book the appointment and schedule time away from work or family to sit in a dentist's office chair while undergoing mm -hmm. the procedure. And also, yeah. the last time I did this in a dentist's office, it hurt. Like, my teeth That's were right. like, sore. Not I didn't fun. know your teeth could get sore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Expensive and really unfun. Versus this, unfun. which is very easy. You just add it to your toothpaste. Right. And what if you ain't got dental insurance? See, now yep. we're getting into a whole new territory. Uh, mm -hmm. Fortunately, now you can try Smile Actives at home or anywhere, anytime. Smile Actives offer a safe and an affordable alternative to these expensive whitening procedures. Simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. It's been formulated with polyclean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. 
Visit smileactives.com slash hot today to receive our special buy one, get one free offer plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash hot. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. Two things I think we could all use more of all of the time, especially right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you headed into the holidays staring down the barrel of complicated family relationships? Check out BetterHelp. (laughs) Yep. You don't know how to set boundaries with your obnoxious family members or your obnoxious or whoever in your life, even with your job. Therapy can help with that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, it's true. If the shorter, darker days are getting you down, BetterHelp is your friend. Uh, mm-hmm. I love BetterHelp. Honestly, I feel like it has helped to create so much more access to therapy and so many more options for people. It's It offers all the benefits of in-person therapy, but it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable, which is amazing. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists who are available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. You don't even have to tell them. (laughs) No, you can just ghost. I know. I shouldn't tout that as a benefit but come on let's be real it nobody is nobody likes having that conversation no, <laughs> it could not be simpler to, to just go. change anytime any reason you just change there's no waiting rooms no traffic no endless searching for the right therapist you have this entire ecosystem of therapists available to you mm-hmm. learn more at your fingertips yeah, exactly, exactly. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hot take. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash hot take. So I will admit that I have like pretty extreme uh, gift anxiety Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, it's one of the things that I specifically do not enjoy about this period of the, of the year. Um, so I'm going to start us off with a very specific, but also generalized question. Let's say just like in general, you have like maybe a couple of pesky family members who, I don't know, like are never happy with anything that you actually give them. Don't give them um, shit then. Don't give them don't anything. Give you, we're not, we're not done. So like, they're not happy with any gift. Um, and they're also angry with no gift. Uh, what do you do with those people? Like, I'm asking for a friend, just in general, nobody specific. Lump of coal. That's what I do. <laughs> but that's a fossil fuel. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Can't even give them that. <laughs> oh, God, that's really tough. Okay. So every year I do a gift guide for my patrons, and it is always things that I definitely like, things that I enjoy, things that I would like to receive, usually from, you know, obviously from ethical companies and, you know, environmental companies. But, you know, I love the idea of like, you know, non-material gifts. So like things like masterclass lessons online, um, (laughs) things like, you know, I think right now we're in a cost of living crisis in the UK and people are definitely going to be trimming the edges of their budget. So like 
I don't think any person who is really having to pair back is going to scowl at a gift card to their local coffee shop when they can't buy, you know, lattes like they used to. Um, so I always say food is a great one. Non items that definitely don't hang around houses. So like for kids, I always get kids products from Lush because it's really fun. It's a little bit upmarket, which means that like, that's not something that they're going to get every day. And it doesn't sit around my sister's house because it's not a gigantic piece of plastic. Um, mm -hmm. And so things that can actually be used, not material items, not plastic things. I think for clothing items, you really have to know the person well and, you know, know that they asked for the certain thing. Otherwise, if you don't know them well and you're not a professional at this, and I did used to do personal shopping for the holiday season, so I get it. But I think if it's too challenging, just get someone like a nice food basket or like, you know, a gift card, a masterclass, something that they can actually like use and do for like a family, you know, those like adventure parks or what are they called? Like the trampoline parks, that stuff is expensive. But if you're a parent and you want to have like, you know, a Friday night where you could just like be on your phone and not be bothered, go to one of those places. They've got benches everywhere and you just got kids, parents on their phone, but that adds up, right? So like something like that for a family, I think is really cool. I'm all about the non-material items. I always love books though as well. Books, you can't mm -hmm. go wrong. We can't go wrong by becoming a more informed society. I actually could think of a really great book. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Freakonomics. No, it's not Freakonomics. <laughs> yeah, I just think non-material items are like really the way forward because I think we all learned during the pandemic that holy crap, we have a lot of stuff. So maybe let's yeah. try and get away from the stuff this holiday season. And if it must yeah. be stuff, like maybe we should try and go the secondhand route with some of that stuff. So like I have started mm -hmm. doing secondhand items for people for Christmas. Like my niece in the UK, she really wanted this bag from a designer that I consider quite basic um, that I would probably not be caught dead buying from, but she really wanted it because that's what her age group is into. And all of her friends had the bag, but they had fakes that they had like bought on holiday. And mm -hmm. me, I just hopped myself onto Vestier Collective, typed in the name of the bag and lo and behold, five came up. I bought one for 35 pounds that was gently used voila all your friends have the fake bag you have the real one it was just gently used by an adult in switzerland you know so <laughs> i think we need to we need to change how we look at the holiday season and gifting in general i really really want to normalize secondhand gifts like my my husband loves like he never used to really care about fashion, but now he does. And there are certain brands that we both really like. Like, we love Comme des Garçons, but we cannot afford Comme des Garçons full price. But I sure can't afford it on Vestiaire Collective, especially if I, like, wait and, like, put it in my basket and, like, see if anyone's bought it after six months. Okay, no one's bought it. I'll send mm -hmm. a little offer. They can always say no. Um, so yeah. 
secondhand items, especially for things that have like a little bit of a higher sticker price, I think is a real win-win. And what we know yeah. about our society is that everything gets overproduced in our society. If you think it's not on the secondhand market, you're wrong. It usually is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you give away a lot of this information on your Patreon. So I just want to add another plug. Thank you. you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I I also, so it's patreon.com slash Aja Barber, but like I'm, I give it away on Twitter too, just not on demand. Like I do not like when random people that I have no connection with are like, can you tell me where to buy shoes from? I'm like, no, I won't do that. There's a whole list on Patreon (laughs) where I can do that. You can even write a post on Patreon in the community section and I will do an entire post for you, but I don't do it on Twitter. But what I will do on Twitter is every now and then I'll just shout out random brands that I like. It will be at my own discretion. Sometimes I will make threads where I talk about what I'm doing for the holiday season. It'll usually be a shortened version of what I'm doing on Patreon, but like, I don't want to gatekeep all the information. I just don't want people treating me like I'm there dial a shopper when in actuality I, I do get paid for that in some spaces. Look, the way that people feel entitled to Black women's time and oh. labor on on Twitter and other social media apps is ridiculous. So yeah. I, I feel your pain, but I really appreciate the information that you give out for free, but I want our listeners to know there's a way to pay for this and to have it at your fingertips at all times yes. and not worry about Elon Musk blowing up Twitter and now you lose totally. your Totally. So go to Aja's Thank Patreon. You. Thank you very much. And like, I really do. So I have a monthly newsletter and in the community section, sometimes I'll just grab all of the questions and go through it. It'll be like, what should I buy for my dad's birthday? And then in the newsletter, I'll be like, so-and-so ask this, here's a list of five things or whatever. So like, I really do try and get to those questions um, over on Patreon. But yeah, you know, if you're, if you're, not enough place financially follow me on twitter because i do give it away for free sometimes too <laughs> <For real>. yeah. <laughs> yeah um okay i have one gift giving question and it's I, I like my family for the most part has kind of just stopped giving gifts to each other i feel like it happened Beautiful. same it's, it's, it's kind of nice yeah it is. It's like, it's basically like everybody gets the kids something yeah. for Christmas, but we're all like, like we're good. Basically know? how I do it, if I see something that I know someone will like, I'll get it. But yeah. there's no obligation yeah. and I'm not expecting anything in return. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. But I do know that... Um, you know, they're like if if there's someone that you don't know that well, or um, someone for whom gift giving is just a big thing for them, it's hard to to say like, no, really, I'm trying to like have less stuff. Please don't get me anything. Do you have advice for people who are trying to set boundaries like that? Like, hey, we're we're we don't want to do any gifts this year. Oh, that is just the so actually, I write a lot of posts about this over on Instagram and. The first viral post I had was about this topic. And what I figured out was the reason it went viral was because people were sharing it all over social media and hopes that that one person would see it and catch a dang hint. So what I would say (laughs) is 
start <laughs> posting the message loudly on social media, not directed mm-hmm. at any one person, but definitely directed at that one person. And like, mm-hmm, if they're mm-hmm. on there enough and they see it, hopefully they'll take it on board. You can be like 10 reasons why I don't want a material item. And then like connect it to like, you know, the environment being destroyed and, you know, we would like this planet to exist for your grandkids. And, like, this is why we shouldn't be buying Christmas cat. Did you know that on Christmas Day in the UK, X hundred tons of plastic go to, like, landfill? Like, did you know that? Yeah. I don't have the statistics off the top of my head. But it's yeah. it's a big amount of plastic. So, like, sure, it's a sharing amount. a bunch yeah. of, like, environmental, you know, connections to the holiday season and how, like, much trash is generated and, like, how many people receive gifts that they don't want. (laughs) I think just Mm -hmm, loudly mm -hmm. sending the hints through social media is, can be slightly effective. So that would be my tip, but hard conversations are hard. I mean, I told someone that I didn't want a wedding present from them and they never talked to me again. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Way to make it about you. I mean, Steve and I were living in a small London flat and we had no money and like we just didn't want stuff. We were just like, please, yeah. no stuff. Give us money. And <laughs> somebody got real bent out of shape about that one. I oh. mean, my advice would be just fake your death, you know, <laughs> if you don't want people to give you gifts. Um, but I think I, I, I actually think that your response is more mature and less avoidant. So it I probably think, will cause less consternation. I think what we need to do is have the conversation about like consumerism year round. It needs to be pretty yes. constant so that when the holidays arrive, Nobody feels like you're pulling any punches, you know? It's it's really yeah, in yeah, line yeah. with what you're saying all along. And so when they're like, surprise, I got you a jokey mug, you could be like, absolutely not. Like, take this home with you. Just throw it at them. I'm yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Toss it in the trash yeah. as they're watching. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, but like <laughs> keeping this conversation going just before the holiday season is really crucial here because then people are like, well, you know what I'll just like, don't buy her anything. She said she doesn't want anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what yeah. you can do for folks in your life who like insist on getting a gift, uh, buy them an just book. That's <laughs> right. Totally That'll agree. send a message. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It'll send a message yes. and give them nightmares. There's literally a chapter called the Black Friday trick. <laughs> the uk started doing black friday that's like the, the most obvious glaring example of it being just complete bullshit but you need to um, do not have thanksgiving but you right? that's right you need yeah. to understand though that the uk was definitely like home to fast fashion like in the early 2000s yeah. and so yeah the conversation about fast fashion and ending it needs to happen here because this place definitely made it popular so yeah, mm-hmm. we're we, mm-hmm. this is a consumer society here for sure. Definitely on a smaller yeah. scale though, because like smaller houses with no closets. Mm. Right. Yeah, right. there's that. So 
Well, I I feel like I'm ready to tackle the holiday season. And so do I. I Thanks, mean... Sasha. We're just not buying anything. <laughs> no one's buying anything. Yeah. We're just gonna yeah. buy nice food, maybe some like nice soaps and stuff that you can actually use up, and then not mm-hmm. have hanging around mm-hmm. your house. But no plastic cat, no fast fashion. You know, we're yeah. gonna give people money if anything else, like because we're gonna cross a good bottle crisis. of booze. Maybe good yeah. bottle of booze yeah. that they're and we're gonna buy drink. books. We're gonna buy books, but we are but, not buying yeah. crap that people don't need. Say it with me. No crap. Yes. No crap. No coal. No coal. <laughs> no coal either. <laughs> oh man, you've changed now. I can't even use that line. You've really like I'm like, crap, you can't give people coal. <laughs> You give them a lump of dirt. Okay, I'll do that. Here's a lump of soil. Just a rock. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Go grow something, you lazy bitch. (laughs) You know what would be a really nice present for somebody? A homemade herb garden. Like if you had like, you know, just some pots hanging around and you're just pottering in your kitchen. I would love that if a friend were like, Mm -hmm. I just, you know grew these herbs myself and you can use them fresh in your kitchen. Like there are so many things or someone gave that to me, it would be so much more meaningful than like, I bought you a hat from a store that like you don't like, you know what Mm. I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Aja. This was a great conversation. This was a wonderful way to spend my day and I just really enjoy you both and I'm grateful for the work that you do. So thank you for having me. Yay! Thank Thank you. Hot Take is a Cricket Media production. It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos Leo Duran is our senior producer. And our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt. Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support and to Amelia Montooth for digital support. You can follow the show on Twitter at Real Hot Take and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. media.